You're listening to the Matthew Sermon Series at Sojourn Midtown. In this series, we are following Jesus as He calls us to take on His yoke so that we may experience true flourishing. Hear the word of the Lord. When Jesus had finished instructing His twelve disciples, He went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. Now, when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Good morning, family. Peace be with you. Praise the Lord. Oh, man, I am home. Y'all going to make it hard for me to go back uh, to Oakland to the mission field. Mess around and uh, give me an Airbnb for long term. Yeah. Well, praise the Lord. We're so glad to be here with you this morning. And um, my hope here is to preach the Word of God and also preach through uh, experience, uh, the experience on the field, and give you guys some updates as to what's going on and how the gospel is going forth through your prayers uh, and through the faithfulness of God. And so before I jump uh, into this thing, I'm going to pray to the Lord for some help, and then we're going to jump right into the Word of God. Is that okay? All right, let's go ahead and pray to the Father. Father, we're so thankful, Lord, for this opportunity that you give us, Lord, to know you, to know you more, to know you more deeply, Father. What an invitation you give us. Your word is right here. We're not left here as spiritual orphans. You provided your word that we may understand your mind more, your heart your passions, God, your desire, your will. And so, Lord, as we investigate that word even now and as we read it, my prayer is for myself first and also for everyone who's under the sound of my voice that this word will begin to read them and that it will begin to transform all of us as we read, God. And so, Lord, we pray, God, and I pray that you will anoint my body even now for the task of preaching, that, Lord, that you will strengthen my body for the task of preaching. Lord, take this broken vessel. Use me, Lord. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. All right. Well, you all are completing or going through your series in the book of Matthews. And we find ourselves in Matthew chapter 11. And as we're looking at the book of Matthew, we are, um, it reminds me that we are now in our second week of the NBA regular series, or regular season. Amen to that. Uh, I'm an NBA guy, and I don't um, have any gripes about it, but because of all of the mix-up that happened last year and uh, during the off-season regarding people being traded, everyone wants to know what's going to happen this season. Who's going to win? Who's going to take it all? And some of you may think just because I'm in the Bay Area that I'm rooting for uh, the Golden State Warriors, which in the sense I may be implicitly, but nobody from Oakland is going to be watching this, so I'm okay. I'm, I'm free to speak. I don't want you to overthink this thing. I'm going to let you know what's going to happen uh, at the end of the season. 
As we push into the postseason, the, per- the team that's going to win it all is going to be the LA Lakers. Now, today, what does it have to do with what we have to talk about? I want to talk about the topic of doubt because there's many people that doubt that in light of the first week of basketball, Pastor Jamal. We say that because, just because um, Kawhi Leonard did his thing and, um, you know, outperformed, what's his name, LeBron James, and somehow, you know, we have doubts regarding my desire. And um, I'm going to say, just hold on. We're in the second week and we won, and uh, it's going to be a great season. What in the world are you talking about, Pastor? (laughs) What I'm talking about is I'm just trying to give everyone a sense that just don't doubt the king, don't doubt King James. And that ain't even spiritual. I just want to give you that. Now, we're talking about this issue of doubt. What I want to talk to you about on a serious note is when doubt speaks. When doubt speaks in our life, because doubt is a real thing, and it speaks often in our spirits, it speaks often in our mind. And the question is, what do we do when the stakes are higher? When the stakes are higher than who's going to win at the end of the season? Or who's going to, how your favorite team is going to perform at the end of its season. When, what happens when our doubt is much more costly? What happens when that doubt is much more gripping to our experience in life? When we begin to feel uncertain about truth or uncertain about the reality of things or the nature of things in our life. What happens when everything around us and the ground beneath us begins to shake and we begin to become undone because of something happening in our life that's causing us, or at least causing us to feel that things are becoming compromised in our beliefs. There may be someone in this room right now that says that, Pastor, you're right. I think you're getting at something that's true of my life right now, and I'm having some doubt in my life. But I also want to say that there may be some seasoned saints in here, some seasoned people in here that says that, Pastor, you're right, but I'm one of those that are not supposed to have unbelief or not supposed to not believe or, or not supposed to have doubt. I'm one of those ones that fit into a, an elite category of people that said that I've been at this too long to be having doubts, but Pastor, I find myself with some doubt today. And I want to tell you that, listen, you are free this morning. You are free to be honest with where you are, and I believe that that God's word has something to say to you and something to say to me, and no matter what season you may find yourself in, whether you think that it's acceptable for you to have doubt or whether you think that it's unacceptable for you to have doubt, Christ can meet you right in that place. And what I want to see is today is I want us to see that in Matthew 11, John, one of those people that we say that, no, certainly he doesn't have doubt. Certainly he's not someone who would have doubt regarding Christ. I want us to look at his life and look at his situation and get some encouragement from it because he begins to wrestle with his own doubts in light of some things going on in his own life as he finds himself in a very dark situation. And so what I want us to do real quickly is I want us to investigate five cases of doubt, and I want to see what can we discover together and what may we be able to discover through self-discovery regarding what God is saying in our life as it pertains to doubt. So let's go ahead and jump to this word right quick. We're going to look at the first thing, and the first thing I want us to look at is the reason for doubt. The reason for doubt. Let's look at, look at that in verses 2 and 3. Now, when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? We have this question 
coming from John the Baptist, a man who had a very powerful preaching ministry. We learn in this text, we learn in Matthew 11 that this is the most powerful preacher of the New Testament leading up, at least into the New Testament, excuse me. He's the most powerful preacher and the most powerful and most important prophet of the Old Testament as he's transitioning into the New Covenant. This is a man who had hundreds and hundreds of converts. This is a man who was set aside by God to operate in the ministry of Elijah, meaning that he's operating with a powerful anointing to make a way for the one who will usher in God's kingdom crashing in on earth. This is John the baptizer, John the Baptist on the scene. John the Baptist, he sends for questions. There's something going on. And John the Baptist is, is now asking a very important question, but a very puzzling question. A man with such pedigree. I want us to first just be encouraged for a second here. This is a man of significant pedigree. This is a man that is responsible and, and given the task to usher in the kingdom of heaven by introducing and being the way maker for Jesus Christ and introducing him into this place. This is a man that just eight chapters earlier was saying, behold, the Lamb of God stands before us. A man stands before us that I am even unfit to untie his sandals. What in the world happened between chapter 3 and chapter 11 that will cause him to say that, wait a minute, I see the Lamb of God, and now he's saying that, are you the one, or should we be waiting for another? Something has shifted. And like many of us in our own lives, things shift on us in our lives, don't it? We begin to see that things are shifting in our, our life, or it may shift in our relationships. It may shift in, oppor shift in opportunities in our life. Something has shifted within John the Baptist. Something has shifted. Now, listen, as we investigate what has shifted, I think that we have to understand something about how the kingdom of God is coming and how the kingdom of heaven is coming that is causing some things within John the Baptist or John the Baptist to be, to be shaken up. It was John's ministry to say that, listen, God is ushering in the kingdom of heaven whereby all things will be transformed and all things will be changed because God is doing something new in the land. It was God's promise that he will establish his kingdom, his new society on earth and all generations and all people will be able to come through this kingdom and know who Yahweh is. And there's something going on in John's life that's starting to, for himself, contradict the reality of what he hoped for. He's starting to say that, wait a minute now, Lord, your promise is that everything will be transformed. Something is not being transformed. John the Baptist, he finds himself in prison. We learned that in Matthew 4 that John, he entered into prison because of some political talk and he enters himself, he, uh, he goes to prison and Weeks go by and possibly months go by and now he's trying to figure out, Lord, what is happening? Why am I in prison? Why am I still in prison? And then he finds himself waiting for this gospel, waiting for the good news of the kingdom, of this new kingdom that's going to transform everything. He's now waiting for this kingdom to cease and desist the suffering that's happening in his life. Can anyone identify with John this morning? He says that, listen, you're, 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 the gospel is here and, and the, the Christ is here and the Messiah that's going to usher in the new age. He's here, but when is it going to change my situation? 
John the baptizer, he's saying that, listen, this is the, the year, this is the era of promises fulfilled, what's happening? I think that this is the reason for John's doubt. The reason for John's doubt is that, listen, and this is a principle that we can understand here, doubt enters our lives when our deepest anticipations are met with unmet expectations. We have expectations in life, don't we? We believe that, Lord, you, 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 we, we, we want the flourishing life. We want the life that God promised, or we believe that he promised, and we want it the way that we think that he should deliver it. Have you ever been in that place in your life? Perhaps it's the relationship that didn't work out, or the career that has come to a halt. This is not the way that I imagined my life will turn out. I thought that I would be something bigger. I thought that I would be something greater. I thought that I would be something better. Or maybe you're struggling with a quality of health. Lord, I did not ask for this body. My body is breaking down. I did not ask for this circumstance of life. I did not know and I did not believe that life will be this way. This is exactly where John finds himself. When I read this, I'm just, I find myself identifying with John over the 21 years that I've been a Christian. Certainly, there's been times in my life where I say to the Lord, I did not know that we would have to wait seven years before we can have a baby, Lord. Because before that seven year came, I did not believe that it was gonna happen. Our life seems to be filled with circumstances that will bring about doubt. I like what Henry Drummond has to say about doubt when he talks about doubt because what I want us to hear is, listen, that some of us believe that we're losing the battle in our life and that something wrong is happening when we're experiencing doubt in our life, but you're not losing battles in your life when you're experiencing doubt. I think that if we're not going to do, and if we're not committed to doing what John did in this circumstance, then we are losing the battle of doubt in our life. And what did John do? John said that, listen, I'm experiencing something right now, and I need assurances in my life, and that he sends someone out to go ask the question for him. We experience losing the battle of doubt when we don't talk about it, we don't voice it, and we believe that we're too holy and dignified to let somebody know what we're experiencing. John said that, listen, I'm experiencing something and I need to let somebody know. Henry Drummond says this regarding doubt. He says that Christ never failed to distinguish between doubt and unbelief. We have to understand that there's a difference between doubt and unbelief. Doubt is can't believe. Unbelief is won't believe. Doubt is honesty. Unbelief is uh, obstinacy. Doubt is looking for light. Unbelief is content with darkness. We do not stand here condemning John the Baptist 2,000-something years later because he had doubt regarding the Messiah. We stand here identifying with him and saying that, listen, brother, I understand, and he's asking the question, and we should be more willing to ask the questions as those questions come into our life. We all have those questions. There's no condemnation for such questions, but what brings the question? Why is there a reason for the doubt? And the reason for the doubt is because something is happening with the gospel and something is happening with the kingdom and it's not unfolding the way that John thought that it would unfold. Welcome to life. 
Welcome to life. We hit the, the ministry field. We hit the missions field in a place that's less than 4% evangelical Christian. And when we hit the missions field, there were certainly things after this year and a half that when we got there, we say that this is not the way that I envisioned. I tell people all the time that we had a whole book, a 30-page booklet that if you turn through the thing, it's all my plans about how God was going to do things and how he was going to start a flaming fire of revival in the Bay. Now, the Lord is going to do it, and the Lord is doing it, but he's doing it his way. We all have those books that we write where God looks at it with us and it says that, ah, oh, it ain't going to happen that way, player. <laughs> no, I, I see, oh, you, oh, that's a good one. I'm going to chuckle at that one. We all have those experiences in our life, but God is going to meet us right in the middle. But I want us not to just only understand the reason for doubt. Listen, we have un met expectations for how we think the gospel should unfold in our life. That means that some of us believe that, falsely believe that we shouldn't have any struggles. Depression is not going to happen anymore. We're not going to have any more temptation. We're not going to struggle with things in our body. We're not going to any longer have any of those things or those struggles that we had prior to coming into the kingdom. Jesus is going to burst that bubble, but you're going to see how beautiful the response is because Jesus is going to be right there in the middle of that doubt. Now, listen here. It says he's replying. Look at how Jesus replies to the doubt. Verse 4, and Jesus answered them, go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. This is the word that he gives to John's disciples because John is, don't forget, he's in a prison cell. John is in a prison cell and he's sending his disciples, go and talk to Jesus, go and talk to Yahshua and ask him, is he the one or should we be expecting another? Now, Jesus' response to him is very interesting because it says that John the Baptist, he, he says, it says that this question comes about as a result of him hearing about what the Messiah has done. He's hearing about what Jesus is doing. He's hearing about what Jesus is proclaiming through chapters 5 through 10. But, and yet, he asks the question, go and see if this is the one, the Messiah ushering in the new kingdom of God on earth, where heaven is crashing in on earth, or is there another? Jesus' response is very revealing. How does Jesus respond? Jesus responds by telling him something that he already knows. He hears about what Jesus is doing, and Jesus responds with saying that, tell him what I'm doing and tell him what he's hearing. Well, what's going on? Jesus is simply telling him what he already knows, what he's already aware of. What is the question that John is asking here if he's already aware of what Jesus is doing? What is the core fear here? What is the core situation here? I think the core situation is we got a hint at it in the previous, uh, previous point, but the core situation here is that as John is, is sitting in this jail cell, staring through rusty bars and in flaky cement, he's sitting there, and what is he asking? Is anybody going to come and get me? What, what, what is he asking? Am I going to stay in this place? Because it's been several weeks and, and nothing has happened yet. And, and, and I know that Jesus, I know that you're doing powerful things. I've witnessed you do powerful things in my own life. I've seen the transformation of my own life. I've seen you do mir miraculous things. 
I've seen you do things that doctors cannot explain in people's lives and possibly even in your own life. I've seen you work in this world. Uh, Lord, I see the splendor of your majesty in the heavens as I look and say that there's no way in the world that the world can exist as it does without fine-tuning and without a God who can create this thing intentionally as it reflects intelligent design. I see this, Lord. But it doesn't stop the core fear, does it, all the time? The core fear is that, Lord, am I alone? Are you going to leave me here? John was sure, he was sure, he was sure that the kingdom would not leave him in the situation that he was in. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. How does Jesus respond? He says, you need to hear, you need to see. I I want you to hear and see. I'm just going to give you more of what you already know. I'm going to declare the objective, the unmovable truths of reality. I'm going to shower that over you. And he says, listen, tell him what you hear. And he declares something over him. And it's something that can be found in two words that I like here, authenticity and objectivity. Jesus, he he pronounces over him this authenticity. Listen, I think there's an invitation here that that when Jesus responds to him, the beautiful thing is that he wants John to turn and see what is actually there. We do not have a faith that encourages us to run away from our questions. We do not have faith. It's not the thing that's turn your eye and blind and, and, and succumb to secrecy. No, false religions typically do that. They have all of this shroud of secrecy where they don't want you to see and they tell you things over and over again to say that, hey, just believe, don't think. That is not Christianity. Jesus is saying, turn, see, look. I want you to witness what's going on before you. That is an authentic faith. But he says that I want you to turn and see and look at something that is objective. Objective truth. He turns him to the word of God. How do you know that? He turns him to the word of God because he says, I want you to see what I'm doing. And he specifically, particularly runs off something that is scripturally based and say that, listen, you know that I am who I say that I am because I'm doing the stuff that all of the scripture said that the Messiah would. That's how you know that I am the the truth and I am who I said that I am. And the beauty about that is, is that, listen, if Jesus himself, the Messiah, the one to usher in God's society, God's realm on earth, if he himself is looking back at the Old Testament, declaring the word of God that we may make sense, make sense of reality, then how much more should we do the same? Y'all with me this morning? Amen. How much more should we do the same? The invitation here is that, listen, if you want to reply to your doubt, if you want to reply to doubt in your life, don't turn away from it. Turn into it, look at it, and then see if the the word of God will not dispel all of those fears by declaring the word of God to it. He declares the word of God to his fear. He declares the word of God. He says that, listen, what you see is messianic activity. What you see is scripture unfolding before your eyes. Don't you fear, John. Don't be afraid, John. It's true. What you have believed, it is true. I like what my man Tim Keller has to say about this faith, this investigative faith, how you turn into it and not away from it. You're not running away from it. He says a person's faith can collapse almost overnight if she or he failed over the years to listen patiently to their own doubts, which should only be discarded 
after long reflection. Now, is the pastor here saying that you should, uh, that you should decorate your doubts, that you should hang it up on a mountain, that you should play with your doubts? No, that's not what we're saying, but we're saying that you should turn into it because Jesus replies to this doubt by actually inviting him to look at what he actually, and look at what he sees and actually reflect on what's going on in his life and declaring the word of God over it. We see reason for doubt. Jesus replied to doubt. It was the word of God and actually looking at it intentionally. But I want us to look at the resolve in the face of doubt. And we see that in verse 6. Jesus, uh, Matthew writes, Jesus says, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Now, this is important. He says, blessed is the one who is not offended by me. As Jesus replies, he gives this last word to John's disciples as they're walking off. He says that blessed is the one who is not offended by me. John, do not be offended by me. There must be a resolve in the face of doubt, this resolute nature in the face of doubt that helps to ground us when we are experiencing doubt. Now, this may sound like big, tough language. You just need to stand firm and dig your boots deeper into the ground. That's not what I'm saying here just yet. This resolve first happens is centered and it comes from our weakness. It first comes from our weakness. Well, why do you say that, Pastor? What are you, you saying? Jesus says that blessed are those that are not offended by me. Happy are those that are not offended by me. What does this word offended mean? What is Jesus saying here? I'm so encouraged that when Jesus is talking to John through his disciples, he doesn't say, I condemn you for your doubt, does he? He doesn't say, oh, John, how dare you doubt me? Oh, John, your, your belly, you leaped in your mother's womb. You heard about the story. You know that I'm this Messiah. He didn't do that at all, did he? He was tender with John. He was loving with John, and, and he handled his, his doubt with care. But he dealt with it nonetheless. He says, John, happy you will be if you're not offended by me. Don't be offended by me. What does it mean not to be offended? That word offended literally means stumbling block. John, don't allow the way that I came, don't allow it to be a stumbling block to your faith. Over and over again, we see in Scripture that, that to the Jews and to the ones that were expecting the Messiah to come, that, that the way Jesus came, the way he came, it was a stumbling block. They could not get past the fact that a, that a suffering servant would come and they would bring the, the kingdom of God through suffering. That he will usher the kingdom of God in without the sword. Come on, man. You have come and you are ushering in the kingdom of God. What are we doing here? Caesar is still on the throne. What's happening here? John is still in prison. What's going on here? You have puppet regime kings on the throne with Israel. What is going on here? And it was a stumbling block the way Jesus came. And Jesus said, don't be offended by the way I came, John. Don't let this be a stumbling block, John. Such tender language Jesus gives to him, and it comes out of this, this weakness that, that John has. It, it, and, and if we want this same resolution, it has to come out of our, our own weakness and our own vulnerabilities in this world. What do I mean? You're going to experience doubt. You're going to feel doubt in your life. 
You're going to feel doubt as long as you're on this side of heaven. You're going to experience doubt. It's going to come in small areas. It's going to come through seasons of depression, maybe. And I'm not declaring this over you, but this might be a reflection of what you're actually experiencing. How does God, Jesus, deal with doubt? Listen, Jude 22, 1.22, what does it say? Have mercy on those who doubt. Mercy on those that doubt. Jesus says that, listen, I'm with you, my child. Mark 9, what does it say? If you can, when Jesus is about to heal someone, heal the child, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Jesus tells this man regarding his daughter, and what does he say? Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe. Help my unbelief, Lord. I believe, and I want to give you everything I have. I'm going to try the best I can, but Lord, this doubt is creeping in, but please don't allow that to stop you doing what only you can do in my life. Please don't. And Jesus is right there with them in the doubt. Say that it's all right. I'm with you. But this resolution, this, this resolve in the face of doubt has to come first. And understanding that we are weak before the Lord and we throw ourselves at his mercy. Lord, help me. But the second thing that I think that we should ground this thing in, this resolution, is the acceptance of God's way. Accepting how God came. We know to the Jews, the way Jesus came, the suffering servant, it was a stumbling block. And to the Greeks, it was foolish. I preach day in, day out, walking, talking, in the stores, door to door. We're preaching the gospel to a place that's very hostile to the gospel. And over and over again, as we are declaring the gospel to people from all over the world in the Bay Area, over and over again, we're running into people that are simply offended that you would say that you would declare uh, this Jesus that had to die for us. Why does this Jesus have to die for us? I'm not that bad. This Jesus that says that you have to turn to him, this exclusive Jesus. And we stand before people over and over again and say that do not be offended by the way that Jesus comes. The more you understand, this is what John Calvin said. John Calvin said that, listen, you can't properly understand God if you don't understand yourself. And you can't properly understand yourself if you don't properly understand God. As people get the chance to know themselves more and more and more, they understand that, listen, maybe I do need this God. And they come in contact with the reality that they need this God. I'm talking about something very important here, y'all. This is the reality of doubt in our lives. What do you do with it? We see the reason for doubt, reason for doubt is it comes about through unmet expectations. One, we see the reply to doubt. The reply to doubt only comes through with an honest look at our doubt as well as declaring the word of God to our doubt. And three, we also see as it pertains to doubt that we have to have resolve in the face of doubt, which only comes through this, this humility and this understanding that, listen, we are this fragile being and we throw ourselves at the mercy of God's feet saying that, Lord, we are weak and we need your Help, Lord. Help us with this doubt. And we also, it also comes with simply accepting, okay, God, this is the way that you chose to come and you're ushering in your kingdom on earth. It is happening despite what I may be experiencing in life. It is happening. I accept it, Lord. Help me. Help me accept it even more. Last two points here is that, but you also have resistors that exist in this world for doubt. 
Verse 17, as you look in chapter 11, I will say go home and be sure to read this whole chapter. He says that we played the flute for you, Jesus speaking, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. What is Jesus saying there? There are people in this world that is set to attack the kingdom of God. And he's specifically talking right here about the Jews that could not accept how God came. And he's talking about John and he's talking about himself. There's something that Jesus has to explain to them, and he has to make them understand. And you get the sense that as you're reading the chapter 11, that Jesus is laboring with them to understand the nature of the kingdom of God. You have to understand that, that listen, because there, surely there are, there's an unasked question here is, how do we make sense of John having doubt? How do we make sense of this thing, this, this, this question, this thing that just happened before us? How do we make sense of this? Jesus is going to then press into them and say that, listen, there's something about the kingdom of God. There's a nature about the kingdom of God that you have to understand. And the nature is that there is a resistance to it. And there is even a violent nature about it that you have to understand. If you don't understand that, you're going to find yourself discouraged over and over and over again. Because the reality is, is that for John the Baptist, Matthew 14 is about to happen. What is that? That means that John the Baptist is going to die. And, and you get the hints that Jesus is going to say here that, listen, it, even for me, I'm going to die as a result of ushering in this kingdom. You have to get it down in your spirit, get it down in your mind, get it down in your heart. Come to grips with this, that the kingdom of God is something that you may not think it is. God is ushering in the kingdom. We will have a transformed reality in the end where only God's kingdom will exist in this world. But right now, it's going to go through some wrestling. It's going to go through some difficult things. There is something about this kingdom. He says this in verse 12. He says, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. There's something about the kingdom of God that rather it means, we don't quite know fully what this means, but can mean one of two things. Either the kingdom of God is such that it is always experiencing violence against it, which will help us to understand that, listen, John the Baptist, he's going to die. As a matter of fact, I'm going to die, but that's not the way the story is going to end. But it can also mean also on this latter part, there's an offense, not just a defense here. There's also an offense here where it says that the nature of the kingdom, it advances and it advances with this aggressive nature that the kingdom of God is going to be, aggressive, uh, be advancing in this world through much aggression. Not by the sword, but there's this tenacity and the fibrous, the fibers of the kingdom are tough and rigorous. There's something about the kingdom that we have to understand here and that John had to understand and that the people here had to understand. When being a part of a local assembly, a local expression of the kingdom, like a local church, we experience that day to day as we're doing the work of the kingdom. We moved to Oakland, and immediately when we got there, there's all type of spiritual warfare going on, y'all. All type of spiritual, all type of opposition coming against us in the bay, and we're so thankful for the way that you all have prayed for us and girded us, and what you're looking at right now is a man that has been sobered by the reality of the field. My life has changed as a result of being in this area, and I'm so thankful for the partnership that we may withstand all of the schemes of the enemy. 
But we have been posed over and over again. We've had institutions coming against us and completing and doing all types of illegal acts against us. We've had people rally against us and plastered my face and things all across the internet saying that get them out of here, stop them from coming in. There's an aggression coming against the kingdom of God advancing. I tell you right now, if I didn't understand that, there's, that that exists, that we war not against flesh and blood, but against principalities in high places, if I didn't understand that, I probably would have said, all right, I'm done, coming back to Louisville. Kentucky Derby, Derby cake, let's do it. <laughs> but there's also something powerful about the kingdom of God. You bite the kingdom, it has a tendency to bite back. We have over and over again seen God do things powerful in people's lives. As over and over again, I'm reminded of people like Benjamin. Benjamin coming in from a different country, coming in and then says that, listen, I'm opposing this kingdom. And as a result of coming in contact with the kingdom and us saying that, listen, we're not going to let you go, brother. We're praying for you. There's an aggressive part of this thing where we love you and and we want to talk with you and we want to engage whatever doubts that you may have in your own life. This brother Ben gave his life to the Lord and said that, listen, I'm giving my life to the Lord. Gave his life to the Lord and showed up to church and said, listen, I was about to miss church, but I showed up to church. The brother was high. Now, hold on, Pastor. You said that he gave his life to the Lord and then he showed up high. Well, I'll let Pastor Jamal make sense of that for you. I ain't got to answer that no more. I'm not a pastor anymore. Showed up to church and said, I just had to just make sure I'm here. And then over and over again, as we're building a relationship with him, he said, brother, listen, I'm in this thing. I'm in the kingdom of God. As a matter of fact, what I want to do is I want to start a Bible study in my home for all my unsaved homies, all my non-Christian homies. And he says, listen, we're going to do this on Monday night. And guess what? You're going to be the teacher. I'm like, you don't pay me. No, no. No, that ain't what, no, he became my boss in an instant. I said, okay, brother, well, well let's, let's do this. I, I'm with you. And then we've been able to do a Bible study in his house every Monday for people that oppose the word of God, people that oppose the kingdom, people that will bite against the kingdom, but the kingdom is biting back saying that, listen, you're going to enter into the kingdom of God. We had people coming in and saying that uh, after the first day, praying for them, somebody ran into the bathroom so I wouldn't see what God was doing in his heart, but I heard what God was doing in his heart as he wept in the restroom out loud. We had people coming in to say that, man, what is this thing? I don't want to believe, I don't want to hear this stuff. And after the Bible study, and after going through some Romans, and after seeing the word of God crumble that heart, melt the heart, saying that, hey, could you come back next week? God is doing beautiful things, but there are people that live in this world that opposes the kingdom. And Jesus wants to know that, listen, there is a nature of the kingdom that you have to understand that exists, but it doesn't mean that something's going wrong. Everything is on schedule and everything's going, right, uh, going well. But let me end with this. In looking at what God and how God is dealing with doubt, how Jesus is dealing with doubt with such tender language, we have a greater understanding of that tender language in this last point in chapter 11. It's such a beautiful, beautiful invitation. We have this invitation to rest from our doubts. Let's read that text together. We're going to just read uh, verse 28. Jesus says this after responding to John 
after turning to the crowd and helping them to make sense of the kingdom and the nature of the kingdom, after declaring woes on those that deny him, Jesus is going to say this, come to me, come to me all who labor and have heavy burden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I don't think that it's a coincidence that Jesus will offer this invitation after receiving the reactions of doubt and denial. Did you see how it is strategically placed at the end of this section before he moves on? It's as if Jesus is closing this section and saying that despite or in light of the doubts, in light of the, the rejections, Jesus is still saying that come and I still open my arms to you saying that come to me. But you also get this sense that Jesus is also saying that, that listen, the way that you're doing life, the doubts that you're having, the doubts that you're carrying, the burdens, and the way that you will usher in the kingdom, I'm telling you that that is heavy on your soul, and I'm telling you to actually join yourself to my yoke. We get the picture here of a yoke. A yoke was a, was a wooden tool that you would um, place on an animal or an ox, and you would place it to join two animals together that they may be one team going and, um, and plowing the field. Jesus is saying that, listen, I want to join you to me. My yoke is not heavy. Perhaps the picture here is that the yoke that you carry and the things that you are yoking yourself to is heavy. Even your best attempt at getting it right, even your best thought of what your best life can be, perhaps it's the house, perhaps it's the career, perhaps it's the relationship, perhaps it's the school, perhaps it's the degree, whatever your best attempt is at, at saying that this, I want to yoke myself to this and this is what success is, Jesus is still standing there saying that my yoke is lighter, is easier. I love what Hannah Smith has to say about this as I close here. Hannah says this, she says, no soul can be really at rest until it has given up all dependence on everything else and has been forced to depend on the Lord alone. As long as our expectation is from other things, nothing but disappointment awaits us. So I think the question that we have to all ask ourselves today is what are the things that we are yoking ourselves to? That's bringing and will only assure us of disappointment in our life. Jesus says, learn from me. We get an understanding. We get the sense of what he means when he says that, take my yoke upon, take my yoke upon you. My burden is light. My yoke is easy. We get the sense of what he's saying when he says that, listen, learn from me. Take my teaching. In the, in the first century, a teacher was known for being very strict, very demanding, really hard on their student. And Jesus says, it turns to this gentle language, somebody needs to hear that right now. That discipleship is not about judgery. You have a loving Christ with you, leading you along with his right hand, saying that, come to me. You are weary, whether you know it or not. Come to me. I am not the strict master that whips you and hurts you when you get it wrong. I'm the master that says that, I see. I have more work to do. You are my workmanship, and I love you. 
And we're reminded of Jesus' love and Jesus' tenderness towards our doubts and towards those areas in our life that we said that, Lord, we have not fully given over. Into, we haven't brought those things over into the kingdom and allow those things to, to be erased by your, by your activity. We're reminded of Jesus' love and his tenderness towards us every time we meet. And we do the same thing in Oakland. You do the same thing right here. Reminded of his love that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke and said that this is my body broken for you. Take and eat. Likewise, he took the cup and said that this is the blood, the blood of my new covenant. Take and drink. As often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. The way we do it here at Sojourn, for those that are Christian, because this is a declaration of belief. Whether you are doubt, whether you are, you're filled with doubt right now this morning, whatever's going on in your life, take the body, break it, and dip it into the blood of Christ, and come and sup on the mercies that God has for you, and bring all your doubts to Him. If you're not a believer in this place, we ask that you abstain from this meal. But if you have unbelief in your life, that difference between unbelief and doubt, if you have unbelief that I just won't believe, we want to talk with you, and we want to declare this, this Christ that speaks to you even with tender language. Let me pray for us. Hi, I'm Jamal Williams, lead pastor of Soldier in Midtown. Thanks for listening. At Midtown, we value gospel-centeredness, biblical faithfulness, transformative relationships, diverse fellowship, creativity in the arts, and relentless mission. For more sermons, info about our church, visit SojournChurch.com slash Midtown.